As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Tuesday, the 14th of November. I'm Tim Spears, and today we're asking... Has Poch turned it around at Chelsea? It's not just the crowd believing in Pochettino. I think it's also key the players believe in, in the project too. Are the Italian champions about to sack their manager? He's been talking to prospective candidates. And what's going wrong at Barcelona? Now it feels like a moment where fans and people inside the club are already demanding more from Xavi. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Tim Spears. As the international break gets underway, we will continue to bask in the glow of that amazing 4-4 draw between Chelsea and Manchester City. Palmer makes it 4-4! It's been quite a turnaround for Chelsea, who a couple of weeks ago looked forlorn when losing 2-0 to Brentford, but have since stuck four past Spurs and City. It's also been a big turnaround for Mauricio Pochettino, who appears to have turned a corner with the club's fan base. With eight goals in two matches against two of the league's toughest teams, the Argentine has found love in a previously goalless place. Our Chelsea writer Simon Johnson has been typing away on this very subject, and he joins me now. Simon, why has this week been pivotal for Poch and his relationship with the Chelsea supporters? If you're a Chelsea manager and you beat Tottenham, you're instantly popular. But... What was more important, I think, was because the Spurs game, there was that bit of an asterisk about it. What was important is they followed it up against the best team in the land. And it showed to the crowd that whatever happens with this Pochettino team, he's going to go for it. And I think that the fans love seeing their team play again, which is not something you could say about Chelsea last season when they were not only getting poor results, they were poor as a team to watch. They, they weren't providing anything to make you want to go to a game. And I think the way that the crowd responded spoke volumes. And then on top of that, he decides to go and have a rant to Anthony Taylor. And we cannot condone such behaviour and he himself apologised for it. But there's no referee that Chelsea fans dislike more than Anthony Taylor. So suddenly you've got a guy that looks like he's going to fight for them compare his behaviour to Graham Potter. He was very polite, lovely man, but almost the way that he 
wouldn't speak up for Chelsea, kind of represented how his Chelsea team played. It was all too nice, too passive. Suddenly you've got a guy now who's willing to stand up for the club and I think he's bought himself some time and a bit of patience so that if there is the odd bad result in there, people will go, yeah, but we can see where he's going. I guess given the magnitude of these results, is it too much of a stretch to say he's turned Chelsea around? Yes, in the in the I'm very hesitant to 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 jump too far ahead because well, he himself said there's still a long way to go, and there's still the question mark over can Chelsea beat a very defensive team? That's been their Achilles heel so far under Pochettino, but I just feel there's a bit of a confidence. Their first big win against a top ten team. They didn't get one last season. Beating Spurs was massive. And I think the confidence from that game carried over into the Manchester City game. It's not just the crowd believing in Pochettino. I think it's also key the players believe in, in the project too. And I think they've they've liked playing under him so far. But when you start get, seeing the results of your hard work, then inevitably that's going to carry on and sort of build your own belief in what's what's happening. And if we could end on the standard question for this time of year, has the international break come at a bad time? I think it's probably a good thing because those two games were so crazy, so intense, and they do have Newcastle away straight afterwards. So playing three games of that magnitude back to back to back is quite tough. It also gives someone like Reese James a bit of time over these days just to, you can tell they're being very, very careful with him and his recovery to full fitness. I think Pochettino himself said he kind of needed the break too because it had been such a crazy six, seven days for him. But, of course, we'll only find out the answer to that question after the international break when they resume. But I I, I just feel that that belief is going to be there, certainly in time for kick-off at St James's Park. It will then be up to Chelsea to answer that question on the pitch again. But the signs are good. Chelsea have had some pretty shoddy title defences over the years and over in Italy, Napoli are making a right old mess of theirs. They won the Serie A title for the first time in 33 years last season but under new manager Rudy Garcia, Napoli are already 10 points behind leaders Inter Milan after just 12 games. A 1-0 home defeat to struggling Empoli at the weekend was the low point so far and it may cost Garcia his job with reports suggesting he's on borrowed time. To bring us up to speed, it's our Italian football correspondent, James Horncastle. What's the latest on Rudy Garcia's feature at Napoli, James? There was a uh, brief get-together of Napoli's front office, their executives, after the game. Rudy Garcia, the coach, has gone back to France, which is where he's from. And in the meantime, Napoli's owner, Aurelio De Laurentiis, has been... I mean, he's in the movie industry, but he's got a casting couch at his uh, film studio in Rome where he has been talking to prospective candidates. So yeah, this is something that already happened in October and it kind of delegitimized Rudy Garcia. So it's no real surprise that here we are again. But at this moment in time, it looks like uh, Garcia is set to be fired. I mean, Napoli won the Scudetto last year. Where's it all gone wrong so far? So the coach who won the league uh, left Luciano Spalletti, he wanted a sabbatical. He's now in charge of Italy, so he broke that sabbatical. The sporting director who assembled this title-winning team, he also left. He went to manage the rebuild at Juventus. And uh, they also sold 
the defender of the year in Serie A last season, a guy called Kim Min Jae, who went to Bayern Munich. But still, you're only losing one player. The big stars, the likes of Victor Ozyman, last year's top scorer, and Kavisha Kavaratskelia, the MVP, they all stayed on. But they just haven't been able to set the same standards that they did last year. Kavaratskelia missed a lot of preseason through injury, so he's been coming back. Players like Angisa, uh, who's been excellent for, for the last uh, two years, has looked a shadow of the player that he was. Garcia hasn't really been able to integrate some of the new signings, like, for example, uh, Kim's replacement, Natan. He was very late to bring him into the, into the team. You know, it's one of those things where Napoli went behind on the opening day of the season to a promoted side, Frosinone. And already then it felt like people were eager to jump on Garcia and say, this is different. And even though they've played well in patches, there have always been moments where people have been skeptical of Garcia. And it hasn't helped that their home form has been really, really below par. I mean, they've already lost not only to Empoli, but uh, Real Madrid in the Champions League. They've lost to Fiorentina. They've lost to Lazio. So when you're losing at home in front of this crowd that says you're not Luciano Spalletti, it's a very difficult circumstance to find yourself in. And if Garcia does go, are there any sort of early candidates here to replace him? Last October, if we go into this part of the international break, Napoli had lost to Fiorentina. It already looked like Garcia was going to lose his job then. Ariel De Laurentiis de Napoleone, he spoke to Antonio Conte, the, the former Juventus, Chelsea, Inter and Tottenham boss. Conte said, I've got no interest in taking over during the season. Uh, that's what I did at Tottenham and look how that worked out. But another person that they looked at in October and they've been looking at again is Igor Tudor. So Igor Tudor was interviewed by uh, De Laurentiis uh, on Monday in his uh, film studio in Rome. Tudor has uh, experience uh, playing in Italy, a very famous centre-back for Juventus back in the, uh, in the glory days. He then has had a bit of a coaching career where he worked uh, at Udinese, then he went to Turkey with Galatasaray, came back to Italy, worked as an assistant for Andrea Pirlo at Juventus, and then took over at Verona, did an amazing job. Went to Marseille, got them into the Champions League, even though his successor then didn't get through the playoffs. And so Tudor has been this kind of this shadow looming over any coach uh, who's found themselves in trouble in Italy so far. So Tudor at the moment looks like the favourite, even though his style of football is completely different from what we saw with Spalletti, 4-3-3. Tudor's success has been playing 3-4-2-1. So that would be quite a big change. De Laurentiis is very honest in saying that, look, there are not many guys who play this style of football that Spalletti did, 4-3-3. So actually... Finding someone is difficult. It was difficult in the summer and it's difficult now too. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. Xavi certainly isn't under threat at Barcelona, although he is probably having his lowest moments since taking charge two years ago. Barcelona lost to Real Sociedad and Shakhtar Donetsk last week and are four points behind surprise La Liga leaders Girona. They are, in Xavi's own words, in a rough patch. With the details on why this is happening, I'm joined by our Barcelona correspondent, Paul Balus. Paul, as described, this has been a bad week in Xavi's tenure at Barca. What's the feeling around the club? 
I'd say that the mood right now is a mood of concerns uh, around the situation that Barcelona is in, basically because fans and people inside the club are already demanding more from Xavi, like he should be doing better, because Barcelona are being uh, unable to compete at the levels that the fans and the club expect them to do. There's a feeling inside the executive board that Xavi has a team to perform better, basically. And that was actually one of his biggest to-do tasks for this season. Uh, last season, Barcelona won La Liga with a pragmatic style of football. But this season, one of the things that Xavi needed to improve is like to get on with this attractive, proactive style of playing football that, that Barcelona should, should be doing, basically. And he is not succeeding at that. Can you kind of sum up what the reasons are behind the recent struggles? I'd say that, first of all, Barcelona is like struggling to have the same stability that they used to have last season. Last season, they used to play with three centre-backs at the back, mainly because they didn't have a natural full-back. Xavi started this season promising Jules Koundé, the centre-back who was depleted as a right-back, that he would play on his natural position and that Barcelona would sign a new right-back in, in Joao Cancelo. But the fact of that Barca is now equipped with two offensive full-backs possibly has made the team a more unstable team at the back. Barcelona has considered the two quickest goals this season in La Liga, which is like a matter start. Into the penalty area, the cross for Samu. Oh my word, can you believe it? 17 seconds in and Alaves have the lead. And apart from the defensive problems, I'd say that on the offensive part of the game, the team hasn't been right either. They brought in Gundogan to add a new dimension on this, but Gundogan is now being depleted as a holding midfielder because basically because Xavi doesn't really rely on Uriol Romeo, the signing that was brought in to bolster that position. So that left Barcelona with, yeah, with a lack of creativity. Up front, Joao Felix went from a high point when he arrived and his performances has been worse over the last month. Xavi has not been able to find the right balance in a team that, at least in the best possible news over the last week, has won the last two league games uh, despite playing quite horribly. And Barcelona's financial issues have obviously been well documented. Will they be able to bring in any help in January? That's a good question. The, the, the answer, I don't know. I think that there's people in the club that they don't even know the answer at this point right now. The player that they are looking for 100% is Victor Roque, the Brazilian striker from Atletico Paranaense. They have already signed him. Now it's a matter of knowing when he can be registered within the criteria that La Liga had, had set up. Barcelona was planning of registering Vitor Roque now, in January, but right now it seems a bit unlikely. It seems a bit difficult uh, to see how they could fit a new player within the salary limit that they have set. Something would need to change in the next coming weeks for Victor Roque to arrive in January. But let's see what happens, because as far as we know, Xavi is really keen on the Brazilian striker to join in as soon as possible. Let's see what happens in the coming weeks. Quick TV hit for you today. The Women's Champions League begins this evening. Barcelona get their title defence underway against Benfica and also in action are the competition's most successful team, Lyon, who are away to Slavia Prague. You can watch all that on DAZN or on DAZN's YouTube channel, both in the UK or USA. Those are 8pm or 3pm kickoffs. That's all for today. I've been Tim Spears. Your producers were Abby Patterson and Mike Zimmerman and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. If you're new to the show, we'd love you to subscribe and come back for more. And feel free to leave us a review if you can. Michael Bailey will be with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Hold up. 
The Athletic.